0: Michael Gigliano. epic interview. Takeaways, start thinking, take action. Listen to your customers. Keep listening to your customers. Build from the ground up with your heart and soul. Advice for anyone out there with a desire to build or create tech, or in fact, anyone delivering a product or service to a customer. Great things come from a spark of genius that is feeling and intuition, as well as a process driven mind. Now, I want to invite you to take a moment and enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm Lou Temlett and welcome to Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. So to make you feel more confident with the trials and tribulations of technology, each week I'll be chatting with business owners about their successes with tech in their quest to fulfill their dreams. And I'll also be hearing from you, the listener, about your tech trials of frustration from the corporate world and how I can help you shift your mindset with a positive sense of calm about all things tech. Michael is frequently requested by name for his results with Fortune 500's elite and private equity, including 40 of the Fortune 100. An entrepreneur, he has successfully designed, developed, patented and commercialized products in excess of $2 billion and the highest single price point, fully crowdfunded campaign to date. Direct P&L experience up to $11 billion, a mastery level in areas of business intelligence, organizational change, corporate alignment, data science, quantitative analytics, machine learning, and neural networks. An active board member and volunteer at several top-rated engineering and business schools. He started his career at tech giant Intel. Earning distinctive engineering honours, spanning some of the highest profile product launches on record in the digital and mobility spaces, including Xbox, Apple, Xeon and Pentium 4, and served as Intel's first lean content expert at their flagship plant. Welcome, Michael. It's wonderful to have you here. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for sparing your time to talk with me today. So I have a few questions and I'd like to know um, where and when your engineering mindset began and a little about your background, if you may.
1: Sure. Um, I think uh, my my background in general um, I was a little bit different as a kid. Uh, I was good at sports. I played baseball, basketball, football, track, uh, all the way through high school and uh, played Division One football in the US as in American football. But I always uh, always liked taking apart things, always was fascinated and curious by how things work. Um, and uh, was very much into math, was very much into science, and later got into engineering. And uh, I studied industrial and manufacturing systems engineering. My concentration was operations research. uh, And I did that in college while also playing a division one sport. And later in life, I went and got another uh, master's degree. In engineering, and the focus focus was on uh, quantitative analytics. So where I got started, I think it's as simple as staring at things and wondering how they work. Uh, going in, it could be something from a paper airplane to Lego blocks to I think anything I ever saw, I tried to make out of Lego blocks. Uh, and then eventually it turned into wood, and then eventually it turned into metal, and then all of a sudden you're actually making real cars 20 years later. Or Anything that you can imagine, just making stuff, staring at stuff, uh, wondering how they work, why they work, what they're made of, um, it could be anything. So when you see, I believe that when you see a little kid and there's a bunch of kids, but there's somebody that's staring a little bit extra, a uh, little boy, a little girl and wondering why, 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 Um people that like to sketch out their ideas. Uh, there's probably uh, a bite of engineering in their future.
0: Mm. That, that sounds very familiar, and I absolutely agree with you, you know, yeah. just watching and observing. And Now I'm wondering what your first, you know, first things that you kind of observed and decided to take apart. Do you have any tales of things you destructed and wanted to recreate?
1: I think when I was little, anything that could be taken apart, I took apart. Um, If people were throwing stuff away, if my father was throwing away something old, uh, a tool, a machine, uh, anything, a lawnmower, I would want to unscrew the plastic and see what was underneath. Uh, When people were looking at their cars, I would always look around at the engines. Um, But even little silly things, taking apart a pen, taking apart... uh, Any really anything, and then I like to build with Legos as a lot of children do. Um, But then I would find figure out that once you could make something, once it's kind of over, so I'd invent new things and then I would pair things up and then I would uh, try to emulate the larger version. So if I didn't like the airplane and I thought I could make a better airplane, and it looked more realistic in my, um, more realistic in my mind. I made what I thought to be better. I'll never know the difference because my mother would just tell me, "Oh, what a nice job! That's so nice." It probably didn't even look like an airplane or a car or a boat, but you know, my mother was there to encourage me and tell me a great job. So, yeah, I think anything, any thing that could be taken apart I took apart I don't really have memories of first things but I know that I tried to build just about anything out of Legos and something that um, um, I would say something that's funny to this day I even make little things that resemble relics like a floppy disk <laughs> which doesn't exist anymore yeah out of Legos so There's no shortage of things at any age. I've never stopped playing with Lego blocks and now having little children. I step on them. I have them in the cracks of the cushions. Uh, I can't get away from that silly toy. And what's kind of funny is I submitted one resume in my life when I was in college. And I wanted to work for Lego. And I submitted it. I graduated with a good GPA. I had great, great co-ops, felt that I would get a great opportunity. And I sent out one resume. The rest I had job offers from just other methods or whatever. And Lego wrote me the, we regret to inform you, heartbreaking letter. And yeah, yeah. And so um, I ended up going to making microchips for Intel, and uh, they were fortune number one at the time. And the projects we worked on, uh, our team, our company, our organization enabled what's now termed as mobility. So when I went there, um, everything was plugged into the wall and pretty much tethered. Laptop life was maybe two hours at best. And when I left, uh, you had computers in your pocket, called iPhones and iPods and uh, battery life lasted all day. Things were thin. There were dual core, quad core, Bluetooth. The internet started tuning up. So uh, I was there at a very special time with a lot of very, very, very unbelievable and very special people.
0: That sounds like an incredible journey and sounds like you were incredibly pivotal in that that process. Um, can you share some of the, the steps that you know the organization went through uh, in your kind of lifetime uh, with them from the you know the very early days of batteries not lasting very long and, mm-hmm. and kind of tech being short lived and yeah
1: uh, well there were people that had vision so what people need to understand about technology in general and it's often taken for granted is people don't understand hardware and software And it's very obvious, and when you say it, it's, yeah, I know it. But if the chip is the engine to everything, if you don't make the chip better, you're limited by what the software can tell it to do, the roads it can be driven on, aka the internet. Um, So you're motor or engine limited. There's no prior art to a chip because it's never been done. So to keep making them faster, better, more effective, uh, to make them do things that people didn't think was possible. There were transistors in my parents and grandparents' generation, and they were the size of a soda can or larger in some cases. And within their lifetime, you can put several hundred million on something the size of your pinky fingernail. So the miniaturization of a transistor um, and how they did that uh, was prior, I had no contribution to that. But once they got down to not necessarily a sticking point, but a pretty pivotal point was they were putting aluminum, or as they say, not in the US, (laughs) aluminum on the chips, just like wires in an older house, the new ones have copper. So when I was there, they started putting copper on the chips and copper had different thermal properties. It was uh, different physical, um, electrical capability, just everything different. And there were a lot of people that didn't think that that would be a success. And Intel pioneered a lot of that and what they were effectively able to do is put, instead of one chip on the size of your pinky fingernail, they're able to shrink the process more and in the same amount of space, put two chips. Then, so dual core, so two cores, so two engines in the same space. Quad core, eight core, that enabled Mobility that enabled um, being able to have more real estate, onboard memory, system on a chip, all those things that are normal now, those were firsts. So I was at Fab 22, and that was uh, at the time the largest and most profitable semiconductor facility on earth it was the lead factory for intel corporation it was in the phoenix arizona location and uh that was when intel was fortune number one and the stock double or tripled every single year for a very long time and uh i happened to be there at that period of time and uh, i was there for about five years
0: that's just incredible you know to think You know, explaining about the hardware and the software, and you're right in that people tend not to necessarily understand the difference. But when you're talking about processes and Mm. the fact that the space has got smaller and just more mobile in in the context of processes and development yeah
1: people think people think technology now and a lot of people think software they think apps they think of programmers all this other stuff and they don't forget it but on my side what's very much overlooked is you could write all the apps you want if the engine doesn't fit inside of the telephone that fits inside of your pocket yeah none of that exists if that processor can't have what used to be the size of a microwave now on your fingernail have things that send and receive memory multiple systems video audio uh you know Graphics, GPU, CPU, all that stuff's on a chip now.
0: Absolutely. And
1: what is now the the latest iPhone destroys even two, three, four years ago's laptops in terms of processing power, video, um, things that we're doing right now. Uh, We have the ability to get on a, a phone and... Have what would the equivalent be, or the equivalent of uh, a television studio, radio studio, um, stream? None of this was even able several years ago. So these guys have got guys and gals have got that process or process, depending on which country I'm in. Because I was in in London last week, and I got <laughs> corrected about aluminium in process many times. Um, but uh, people. Take for granted or they really overlook. There's still really only one or two companies, maybe three, on Earth that are enabling all this stuff to happen. And then the software people make the apps and the and, and all that other stuff. But without this engine, um yep. that is very power efficient, is safe, and has an ungodly amount of supercomputer strength, um, you know, the, the the chip engineers I maintain are oh. today's rocket scientists, um, Absolutely. because you can't make a rocket without a chip now, and the things can't talk without the computer. So uh, yes. that may not sound so nice to say or hear, but um, I still think the chip engineers are and always will be the rock star, because that's the engine.
0: Absolutely You um, lead me on to um, A point that that I've raised Maybe not in one of my podcasts But certainly some of my social media Um, During the mid-70s My father built a personal computer um, From scratch So he kind of you know, produced all the circuit boards, the casing um, and everything else at the same time as kind of Clive Sinclair, who was one of his idols at the time. Uh, and that's when I started my journey in coding and programming and software engineering yeah. um, from the age of three. But, you know, without that technology, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, and none of us would be here without The development that's happened over the last, you know, decades and decades of time, um, and you know where it will lead us in the next, you know, five decades. Who knows? Yeah. I think that's you know a wonderful thing to think that the progress that we've already made and the progress that we're about to make and embark on as well. What and, uh, I what those- I've
1: been very fascinated by is now that everything's mobile you're able to access information quickly but you're also able to collect information and the quality of information and sort through you're able to gather a bunch of stuff but now it's able computers and so hardware and software, they're able to now get all that stuff and they're doing things meaningful with it. It used to just be collecting stuff, big data, whatever it is. Now we're in the phase where you have IBM Watson and you have just massive data sets that have been collected across the world, all types of categories, rows and columns. And now computers are able to compute AI, predictive analytics, and they keep getting better. And um, always going to need the people, always going to need the people to write the equations that have like the extra tape on the glasses, right? Uh, us yep. nerds. But um, it's neat what we're pushing right now is very useful computing. And instead of just getting the data and collecting the data, now we're crunching the data to produce meaningful outcomes. And uh, it's really advancing um, civilization. A person that I admire so much is Dr. Felipe Arosfera, And he is down at my alma mater, Ohio University. And he is able to use Watson and other things to do things like humanitarian logistics and relief for disasters and other things and you now have that at a student level where that might have been reserved five to ten years ago exclusively for dhl the military the various militaries um ups federal express you now have students able to do routes during hurricanes that save lives um how to generate how to get generators um to places that have no electricity and that's all through all this computing power and it, and it's really helping people you also have it making the world safer um in terms of uh flying driving uh all these sensors so we're able to gather all this stuff and i think the next big chunk is now getting that stuff and doing something useful to society with it besides looking at kim kardashian's butt or something like that so i like that uh getting rid of the vanity stuff and now this processing power is more for solving problems than it is for entertainment so i'm happy to see that it's transitioning into more useful things
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, many of us have a philanthropic um, kind of ethos and thinking and, uh, you know, just bringing that all back into play um, that wraps around kind of uh, entrepreneur spirit and, uh, you know, progress forwards that is more humanitarian or, uh, you know, ethical and supportive in in the world in general. Michael, I want to ask you about your greatest tech success, if if you've not already mentioned it.
1: Um, Greatest tech success. Um, I would say my greatest tech success would not be working on an electric vehicle, would not be any of the Pentium stuff. I think the thing that I just saw recently um, at a grade school level, and it's never changed, but it literally makes the light bulb go off or figuratively makes a light bulb go off. And that is they still in elementary schools and science will get a piece of styrofoam, block of wood, two paper clips, they'll get a battery and coil some copper on a battery make the make the circle two ends stick out go through the paper clips magnet underneath spin it and pfft, you have a you have an electric motor. Yeah. And to see how simple that is and pull it forward to now when we were little we we're like okay cool it goes around in a circle. But now you see Tesla or you see Rivian or you see Fisker or any of those things it's the exact same thing and they've been able to do that longer than we've been alive and it's been a universal thing that they showed to kids and they've never stopped showing it and i think that was my biggest you know the thing in tech when you put electricity through copper magnetism now now you get things spinning which gets this stuff spinning and says, well, how many of these magnets would I need to make a light bulb go or how much, how fast would this have to spin to turn a wheel that my Lego can be on? Or could I put my chair on this? And it makes you start to think of scale and it just makes your head go all over the place. And, um, I think that's my biggest tech breakthrough (laughs) in my life is when I saw that in school. And just recently, I'm seeing again in the elementary schools, and it still has that same effect. And you watch the kids now, your own kids, other people's kids, and you see the world through their eyes. And it's beautiful to see them, them studying it and looking at it. And all of a sudden they go, and it makes you feel It brings you back to that moment. So uh, I I could say all kinds of neat, cool things. That's the one.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, that's where, you know, tech brings us, um, you know, an emotive uh, emotion and feeling. And yeah. it's kind of intrinsic, and they're both mm-hmm. linked. It you know, is, yeah, it, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the the essence of tech that it is yeah. much more human, it's much more real, mm. and uh, feeling feeling based. That True. most people may not kind of understand the concept of when they see devices and machines right. that it all began with a very deep feeling and an inspiration that uh, supersedes yeah. all of us well, of um, and is still at the core of everything. So that's, that's really heartwarming to hear that you uh, yeah. kind of uh, mentioned that. Um, so I was going to ask you about your uh, kind of deepest tech learning and uh you know, your, your biggest learning curve within, uh, engineering and technology.
1: I don't think there's a day that goes by that, and it's cliche, the more, you know, the more, you know, that you don't know, but every day I am inspired by, and I'm going to apologize because I'm going to turn a brighter light bulb on than myself. Um, and I apologize for any of the people in here with the the podcast stuff Um, but I really think that um, the more you realize that you don't have a clue on what's possible you really don't have a clue and you have your degrees and you have these people that have these giant laboratories you have these people that have billions of dollars hundreds of millions in R&D per quarter, per month, per whatever. And then you see kids at college beating them at whatever they're doing. It could be drone competitions. It could be electric vehicles at Virginia Tech. It could be um, communications. It could be programmers writing in Python versus something else and how quickly kids Can do Python on something like a Raspberry Pi for $30, $40 and have a robotic competition that does something that would have cost zillions of dollars and they do it on pocket money. And then you look and maybe people their parents' age uh, have these endless budgets and they can't even draw an idea. So you're seeing the idea go to a napkin, go to physical form, and then the make and break and the iterative process. And just when you think you've arrived, like in sports or anything else, somebody punches you right in the mouth and you realize you're not the heavyweight (laughs) champ anymore. So um, if there are young people listening to this, what I would love to tell them is, You're actually better than us because you don't have your corporate head trash and you're actually way better than us because you take more of the we could if versus we can't because that some of us old folk are, are beat down with. And I'm always amazed every time I show up on any campus that has any type of, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, the biomedical, the biomolecular stuff, and you see... How much it costs to really get it done and then how much corporations and us old folk, which you're not one of, but one of us old folk on, um, you know, how much they select to do and the politics. No, we can't. You give kids stuff and offer some pizza and $100 prize and they're beating people making $100,000, $300,000 salaries that have 20 years experience 30 years so um i don't think that's ever changed uh people were surprised with what my stupid butt was able to do when i was young and now it's back in my face and i see kids go oh that's easy just do this and i go oh my that took me a week to do and some kid has just and then it's done it's amazing
0: yeah uh, you know, they, they've learned from somewhere and there are educators out there and, yeah. you know, uh, inspiring uh, entrepreneurs in the yeah. tech and engineering world. And, uh, you know, that's all to be noted as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. I try to be
1: and one you- of those. I try to donate as much time if I'm in a city and I know there's a major university there. Um, I'll volunteer to do a Q&A, volunteer to do a lecture. Um, I have a lot of really good relationships across the country, uh, from California to Florida to uh boston being you know harvard mit stanford uh i have relationships in in the uk where i just was Uh, i have relationships with uh in in mainland china i have relationships in india institute of technology so we got nerds all over the place and if i ever happen to be it's mostly in the states um a little bit overseas, but if I'm nearby, uh, we're a small community of nerds, and uh, the doors are always welcome. And we always like to get that perspective. And some of it's uh, like when your parents tell you to eat your vegetables, and they say no. Um, if I come to your university, magically I'm going to say the exact same thing that you put on the board, and they're going to listen. Um, so you know, we help each other out.
0: That sounds great. I'm so going to get you round to get my kids to eat broccoli. <laughs> um, so, uh, focusing on uh, entrepreneurs that might be listening mm. to this and looking to move into the field of technology, or well, that's something that they have an interest in, what would what tips would you give them? What recommendations? Things to look out for? Things to get into? What's the latest from your perspective?
1: I think an entrepreneur, that word wasn't really around when I became one. Um, When I was 27, I stopped a corporate job at a fortune number one. I had a very beautiful life, very beautiful house, great company, great benefits. And back then, if you wanted to be what's called an entrepreneur now, my father said, did you bump your head? are you, is something wrong? Why would you ever quit the corporate world? Um, there were people that asked, you know, there's definitely something wrong with you leaving Intel when the stock doubles every year, or there's definitely something wrong with you working at a good company and all this other stuff. So there was no such thing as an entrepreneur. We were just, you know, crazy people that went and started our own businesses. Now you fast forward today and there's a lot of entrepreneurs. So not entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs, and they will quote a million Steve Jobs things. They will go spend too much money on their little cute outfits with their $300 hoodies and their $500 jeans and their $200 slacker shoes and their $3,000 laptops, and they're more concerned with what they look on the outside and more concerned with um, the story of what they're going to do. But... They're not making and breaking what they should be. And I think if you're an entrepreneur, money doesn't matter. Money is very much not required. A majority of things that I've made, which I've then turned into real products with barcodes or helped somebody else take their existing thing, it happened with one of these. I can tell you that people will label me an entrepreneur, and I can tell you that this is, there's a bunch of pencils, mechanical pencils, a very, very, very big eraser, okay, which is all of one dollar, and something simple like this notebook, and that's it, that's all it takes, And what it is, is what I think makes an entrepreneur successful, and it always has, the people that can communicate an idea that maybe doesn't exist or is the better mousetrap, articulate a vision with steps on how to get there, starting at the end, working backwards in big chunks, And even if people don't get all the details, they don't need to know the details. They just need to know that I wanna go from A to Z and the first two steps are A, B, C, and that gets them on board, then D, E, F. And as long as they can say, yeah, that person knows the alphabet, it's in the right order, I might know everything and just need the vowels. So knowing what you do have and what you need and what you don't have, and then being humble enough to say, just because it's my company doesn't mean that I have to be the smartest or the fastest or the best. I just need to know how to get there, articulate a vision, do things in specific, measurable, attainable, you know, realistic and timely manners with the SMART goals and get why do I care? What's it for me? Why should I believe you? 30 seconds or less, fifth grade English. If anybody is actually listening to me say that and wants to write it down again, I'm gonna give you a master's or a PhD again. Why do I care? What's in it for me? Why should I believe you? 30 seconds or less, fifth grade English. That paired with a roadmap will get you further than going out and buying laptops getting fancy schmancy consultants or whatever it is and the sooner you can start making and breaking representative models or if it's coding banging out the code the sooner you are into physical form and making ugly babies and then getting feedback and turn them into pretty babies that's the sooner you can slap a barcode on it, and put it out to the world. And getting super user groups are imperative. So you don't want to do the traditional design in a vacuum and then go out and try to push people on and sell why it's better. Um, being trained uh, in Japan and lean uh, and, and shingajitsu and and that type of stuff uh, at a very young age, the thing that I remember most is The translation was the closer your ear to the customer's mouth, the closer your hand is to their wallet. So if you have the customer and you have inclusive design and you take a listening approach, um, you're most likely to get that money sooner than the next person. And because the people who you're building it for got to beat it up, got to test it, got to do everything, They are going to become your biggest sales force, your biggest marketing, your evangelist. Um, And you're not going to have to spend a dollar marketing because they were part of inclusive design. Somebody who goes and makes something and is a know-it-all and will tell you why you're wrong and why they did it this way. But that's one person and one person's never going to beat five or ten or a hundred or a thousand. And so for an entrepreneur versus a one the ones that I'm seeing successful solve something useful, are able to understand what the value is. They give total addressable market, but I would challenge people to say, what is the total grabbable market? And I would define grabbable market is what can you go get? not what can be done what can you go get and if you can't go get that articulate it get them on board make it and then eventually deliver it to them your batting average is uh, not going to be so high if you do take those types of steps um your batting average will be ridiculous in a good way people like working with you and for you and you never know what you stumble in they may ask you to do it again and again and again and then maybe you can get on um you can get on uh your favorite magazine you can get on a podcast with lou you can uh do whatever you want if you don't you'll be watching it
0: absolutely michael that's so inspirational every podcast that I record and interview, there's always something incredibly value valuable to pick up from it. Um, and I'm, I'm listening because I want to be on the podcast with me right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Special (laughs) guest in the building.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, just such valuable advice. You know, we we share um, some of our time both working for Honda um, and using the the specific, measurable, achievable, realistic time-based goals Mm -hmm. and the iteration in, you know, producing something, listening to the customer, having... You know all our ears and senses open to their yeah. feedback mm-hmm. reiterating the process and yeah. just keeping going and and delivering something that's heartfelt and what really stuck with me michael was mm-hmm being able to grab um you know the achievable market not the potential and the and what's possible but just the immediate market and actually just going out with that i think that's incredibly sound advice for anyone um producing anything whether it's a service or a product to just achieve those initial goals and and the quicker you're producing something yeah the quicker you're going to get it. Yeah,
1: the bit. world's small. We're both in tech, and we both spent time with Honda, and uh, you see uh, Honda making a lot of advances in technology, not just in the cars, but um, I could talk about in ergonomics. They're definitely one of the companies' uh, project that that I'm aware of is um, some of the ergonomic labs that they'll have. I'll also give a shout out to my alma mater, Ohio University. Their students that are building exoskeletons for people that aren't as able-bodied as, as uh, traditional people, people um, that uh, may not otherwise be able to contribute as much as they would like to in the workforce. And they're able to make things that give you a mechanical advantage. Uh, and if you are able-bodied, uh, it reduces the stress on the able-bodied. So 50-pound lifts maybe are one pound now. And so you're seeing Honda lead the way and some of the exoskeleton, the super soldier. And there's there's other companies. There's a lot of companies that are doing that. But um, Honda's had robotics and they've been towards the front of it. And, and what I always enjoyed and I'll say Honda, but also Toyota is how there's the harmony between man and machine and the choreography of that. And one will never replace the other. And when they are in perfect harmony, perfect harmony, you get these products that last four five, 600,000 miles and um, are affordable to the masses. And they're really, uh, they're, they're a lot of these Japanese automakers, they didn't just make you know auto you're seeing the rise of um, Hyundai and Kia now um, you're seeing you're seeing industries change and it's a very fascinating time
0: absolutely is and uh, yeah I'm even more excited about the future now having yeah. you know interviewed you so what's next for you Michael what's what are you working on and what's what's your future vision
1: so um I had <sighs> every once in a while, you need a good kick in the butt. And I was, and I'm not pandering, but this is just very real. Um, I am from the States. I've been doing a lot of stuff in the States, and I spent a little bit more than a week over in London. And that was uh, primarily to see some universities. It was to do a little bit of talking. It was to do uh, a podcast event where I met a lot of very talented other people. Uh, It was a little bit with finance. Uh, Something was uh, healthcare and um, more resilience software-based stuff. And then I met up with some friends from Clubhouse as well. So all kinds of different things. But a very impactful talk I had um, that it just added perspective. Um, the, the the young lady that, uh, that had the podcast event started exactly one year ago, and her name is Natalia Lloyd. And she, just like you, has a podcast, and she had one guest, then she had two, then she had five, then she had 10, then she had 20, And she just celebrated her one year anniversary. And what I really saw is to our original point, you have somebody that's talented, trying something very new and new to them. And you now look back at the body of work. This isn't a $20 million studio. This is somebody that had a talent, has a talent, um, and is able to get Billionaire, industrialists, princesses, musicians, um, was able to get people that are sir this and Lord that you're all these people that we know and to see how proud everybody was of her at this event, it was the true entrepreneurial spirit. And so when you say what inspires you, um, I'm going to say something like last week, being in London, spending time with the world famous Natalia Lloyd at her podcast anniversary, but the people that were brought together from all over the world, from all different industries and what came out of that, uh, was very special, new ideas, new business. You have for her, ideally large branding deals, or not ideally. I mean, you see and people beg to get her to do branding deals. Um, I think that this is all entrepreneurship. This is somebody that has a talent, found their niche, um, did a great job, was inclusive in the design, was uh, very flexible and very impressive on how during COVID it's difficult to connect and connected with some of the biggest stars in the UK and even bigger, um, Russia, uh, US, um, many other countries and get to within one year, over eight countries, her podcast is number one. You can influence educators, you can influence industrialists, you can play in pop culture. And this is somebody that um, one year ago was a new podcaster, and just had the courage to go out and try it. And, um, you know, that's a big kick in the butt to somebody who's comfortable or somebody who thinks they have what they have. For somebody to get comfortable being uncomfortable in a time of COVID and leaving an amazing finance career uh, to go off and try something new like that, what I identify is that's the exact same entrepreneur that when I was young at 27, I said, I'm just gonna go off and start from scratch. And I think everybody admires that type of spirit, that type of work ethic, that type of humility, Um, and then to persevere uh, and then see all the people in the UK be so proud of of that you see the good the the somebody bringing out the best and the other and other people um that was a, a not a wake up but that that was something that that i very much applaud and and i've met everybody and i'll do the name drops i've yelled at steve jobs and he's definitely yelled at me i've sat with andy grove when i was at intel uh mr musk mr fisker um Toyota, not Toyota. Um, I've been around the superstars, and I've done work with some of those people. Uh, actually, a lot of those, and then everybody that makes those big organizations turn. Um, it just very impressive. So salute, salute to uh, the world famous Natalia Lloyd, all of her guests, uh, and and salute to the UK because to see the UK doing that, it's it's over here, it's too saturated. And there's a lot of low quality ones, but to see the, the pride, the quality, the craftsmanship. So my takeaway from the trip to the UK was that I saw myself in what Natalia Lloyd um, has done. She left a brilliant career in finance, incredibly accomplished wanted to do something new and different didn't go out and get hundreds of millions of dollars and just had a talent and was hungry enough to go get it attract the right people um have a plan go knock it out of the park she didn't hit it over the fence she hit it out of the stadium and into the ocean and then to see the success to be ranked number one in eight plus countries to see the adoration and the admiration of people that we all admire in business and entertainment and industry and to really bring all those people close together at an event like she had um people were solving problems people were creating new businesses and the line was as long as you could get to even get a picture with somebody like her of that talent and that caliber. And uh, it's a lot to be proud of, to do that in one year during COVID and be ranked, let alone be number one. Um, theres I can't even imagine the type of contracts that'll be coming for her in 2022. So I look at that and I say, that's the spirit of entrepreneurship. That's something that had hard work, humility, and um, that, that was done the right way. And um, I see today a lot of the, the podcasters, this is a new form of tech. This is somebody that's overtaking mass media and getting niche markets or really broad audiences, teaching them learning, learning with them, learning from them. And it's just a really beautiful thing. Um, that's one of the reasons I was very honored to to, to be a part of this podcast is um, I see the exact same thing. This stuff matters. What you do matters. There are people that that want to hear from one of every flavor and the people that are doing great jobs of this, are gonna be rewarded. And if it's not financially immediately, um, when you're good at something, that's good. But when you're great, the money follows you no matter what. So that relentless spirit of entrepreneurship, not wantrepreneurship, is alive and well. So um, I definitely wish you continued success and a very sincere thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, share time with you today.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure, Michael. Thank you for everything you've shared. It's just been incredibly inspiring. And I'm just, you know taking it all in It has just been incredible so um, I'm going to be listening back to this um, if you have uh, managed to get through the whole episode thank you so much Michael once again thank you so much for joining me I really do appreciate your time and effort uh, today and uh, look forward to connecting with you again when you visit London uh, or anywhere else in the UK
1: absolutely and thank you so much and absolute salute to everybody that showed us so much love in the UK and uh, all the inspirational people that we met and uh, specific uh, thank you again for you and uh, for giving me this opportunity Lou thank you so very much
0: you're very welcome thank you Michael thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it I look forward to having you listening in again for the next episode. And if you would love to be a guest talking to me about your tech trials or successes, please do drop me a DM.